Hebrews 5, 5 to 10. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he has heard, because of his reverent submission, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Here ends the first reading. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here ends the second reading. Well, it's been one of those weeks. One of those, a week is a long time in politics weeks. After a snap election called in order to provide a more secure majority and a bigger mandate, as the negotiations around Brexit start, we have established that there isn't a bigger majority or a more secure mandate, and that in fact we are, as a nation, deeply polarized and divided. So much so we can't even agree on a government we can't find a common ground to stand on so that we can establish the strength and stability that we were told we needed. And no matter on which side we voted, it is clear that as it stands, nobody has won. There may be a majority, but it's not a clear enough one to give authority to act. There may be, we're still waiting to find out, some kind of coalition or agreement, but it doesn't look like it's going to be one that really brings people together across a divide in a way that provides common space for conversation and negotiation. There may be a perception of a way forward, but as all the indicators show, it's not because we are united on it. We have fallen out as a nation or as nations, and we cannot at the moment find a way to talk well together. 
And so we face a period of increasing tension and of strain among people, probably of even deeper retrenchment in our various camps and of deeper division and antagonism. And maybe, oh joy, another election. And I suggest that this polarization and division and struggle is given shape by the way that we are having the discussion and the pattern by which we establish authority. The authority to speak for the nation, the authority to describe and therefore create the future, the authority to speak into being what is going to be our common life. It's that authority of storytelling, of description, that's at the heart of what has been going on in the last few weeks. The right and power to say what the world is, the right and power to say how it should be in ways that make it so. And it works when people are convinced by the account, the narrative that you give. The way you describe how things are chimes in with the way people experience them and so they can trust you. The way you describe how things will be when you have control becomes powerful because it matches what people want to see happen, echoes the story of desire and security that they, that we, tell ourselves and so authority is given. And the authority it works with is based on the gaining of power in order to make things happen, to shape the world according to the vision of one, the ones whose description, whose account is given the most authority. That's what the manifestos are about. This is what we will do if you give us the authority to act. That's what all the campaigning has been. Authorize us and we will have enough power to make the world this way. It's what's been going on in the negotiations and the deals that are going to be put in place to make sure we have something resembling a stable government. We'll give you this if you give us that, then we'll be powerful enough, we will have the authority to go on and do things. It's a drawing in through deals and persuasion, or perhaps enticement, or manipulation of self-interest, of the power and the authority to do things. And in a very crude way, it comes down to, mine's bigger than yours. In this, in this instance, my share of the vote, or my number of MPs, is bigger than yours. And the system insists on that. That's what I mean about the way we have the discussion. The system insists on that. Whatever the goodwill and the integrity of the individuals, the drive to maintain the vote, to gain the vote, to persuade and entice people to give the vote, even at the cost of long-term good or giving voice to those who are outside the system or whatever it is, becomes the driving factor. And it is a form of violence inherent in the system. I am bigger by virtue of the votes, so I get to say what goes. Now, on the whole, it's not a violence that kills people. But it does work on the inherent principle of might, transmuted into argument and voting and getting as many people involved as possible. But might is right. We vote rather than shoot people, and that has got to be better. But it is the same principle. Authority comes from having the loudest voice, given by having the most people saying whatever it is that you are saying. Now, I think this is better than killing people to enforce a position and make them obey. But it is doing the same thing in a more civilized and humane and appropriate way, it's true. But it's still on the same spectrum. As Churchill said, apparently quoting somebody else, democracy is the worst form of government, apart from all the others. Because it does mean we don't kill people. And I'm grateful that we have it. And I'm deeply grateful we get to take part in it, though too much of a good thing. And I would rather there wasn't another election this year. But the fact remains, it is an authority based on a win-lose model. If I win, you lose. If you win, I lose. 
And this week, that has meant that everybody loses. And we're polarised, and we're divided, and our political discourse has become painful. And everybody is going to struggle with the outcome in the future, and resentment grows, and exclusion develops, and disenchantment and disengagement becomes an option, as does a rhetoric of disrespect and condemnation, and we're seeing it happen already. And it's not just in politics. The horror of the attacks on London Bridge, on Westminster, on the arena in Manchester, another form of this I win, you lose pattern. There we have, it appears, young people who are so convinced that their way of viewing the world and understanding reality is so much the truth that it gives them the right, the authority, to destroy all that is not within their own camp and their own community. Unless we set it up as a religious or a cultural war, remember, those who are part of ISIS, Islamic State, whatever you want to call it, have killed more Sunni Muslims than they have killed Westerners. And more Sunni Muslims have been killed by ISIS than have been killed by the Western powers. It's about defending my authority to interpret the world and having the authority to destroy that which is not me. And again, lest we become self-righteous about it. That passage we've read from Matthew's Gospel and the way in which it has been interpreted will not let us off recognizing our own history and our own complicity in the violence and in a win-lose world and in the horror it can generate. Those words have been precisely the church's mandate for my God is bigger than your God, and so you have to do what I say. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples in all nations. And it's a pretty all-encompassing claim and has led to some pretty horrific results. It has led, in a dominant and still powerful part of our story, to Christendom, to the identification of the church with the secular power, to the insistence on the social and civic right of baptism in order to be part of society. Within my lifetime, I have known of somebody who wanted to be baptized as a believer and whose father resisted because he believed if she was not baptized in the state church, she would not be allowed to vote. Now, that is false, but it is part of our history. It has led, this uh, image, it has led to imperialistic missions. We know the story of what has happened in parts of Latin America where people have been forcibly baptized over the years and cultures destroyed. It has led to the Crusades. It has led to anti-Semitism. It has led to all sorts of things that as we read the Gospels now, we want to shout, how did you think that was a good idea? How did you believe that was a godly way to follow Jesus? And it's true, the story does give us a Jesus who announces that all authority is his. But the story that leads up to this little scene is hardly one that fits the pattern that we are accustomed to of win-lose, the pattern we find ourselves trapped in. Jesus is not calling on a bigger majority or a bigger army to support or establish his authority. The gospel writers give us this announcement after and indeed as a result of the cross. The authority that Jesus has is not based on mine is bigger than yours. It is, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, shaped by and emerges from his sufferings, that is his death. He is put to death by the authorities the ones who had the right and power to speak, to describe how the world is and should be, and to make it so. There were those who had the authority to speak of order and justice, 
of theological and spiritual truth, of good politics and keeping alliances. And so, for the sake of good order and the proper sustaining of society, and in the name of theological truth, and as a measure of good politics and secure alliances, they told a story and gave an account of the world that killed Jesus. And what we see all the way through the gospel stories as they tell us about Jesus is that he does not play by these rules of win-lose, mine's bigger than yours. He's not telling this story of might is right and I'm in charge because I'm more powerful than you. We see that rejected right at the beginning of the story in Matthew's gospel when we read the, the birth narratives. Those are not about power and the identification with the existing patterns of authority. That's what confuses the Magi. They turn up expecting to find the new king in Jerusalem. And then they have to add on an extra journey and go to Bethlehem, to this obscure and unpowerful birthplace. That's what's going on in the story of the temptations in the desert. When we see Jesus explicitly saying, he will not take on and work with the structures as they are. He will not dominate by works of power. He will not manipulate the world to suit himself. He will reject their siren calls, even at cost to himself. And there is a cost. The powers that be, the authority structures that shape our world are not easily flouted or straightforwardly sidestepped. After all, it is the authority structures which are in charge, and we know all too well what happens when structures and patterns that sustain the world the way it is are threatened. It doesn't take long for the violence that's under the surface to appear and to take charge. How do we deal with the terror threats? We do more of the same. We bring the troops out onto the streets and we give the police guns. It's all there in the way the world is set up. In the last resort, and too often in the first resort, when authority is threatened, force is the reply. And Jesus is killed. Because he does not take part in these structures, he refuses this authority, he refuses to exercise it, and he refuses to submit to it. He is executed by due process by those who have the authority to speak the world the way it will be. And this is the ultimate assertion of authority, the right to take away life. Except, of course, it turns out it isn't ultimate after all. The resurrection is the literally living affirmation that the authority structures based on violence and might is right are not going to win. They are not ultimate and are not absolute. The life and the love and the grace of God is something quite other and quite different and quite beyond these authority structures. So when Jesus is telling his friends, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, it's not my God or even I am biggest and so everyone must submit. Rather, it's the claim, it's the assertion that all authority structures and ways of exercising power that they know and that they are part of, willingly or not, are penultimate, are incomplete, will come to an end, even the ones that cause death and destruction. Because it turns out it is a different kind of authority that Jesus is announcing, not a win-lose one, not the kind that's based on this way of reading the world that says authority and power come from being bigger and stronger and having more votes or more armies. The writer to the Hebrews talks about Jesus coming to this perfection, his authority, through what he suffers through his death on the cross and his resurrection, therefore. This death is his facing of the authority structures we know and take for granted, but his resurrection, well, what's that? Is it just a different form of win-lose? 
my life is bigger than your death, or my God is bigger than the powers of evil, the same story, but with the goodies in the winning position. No, what it is is something quite different, a different story. The authority of Jesus is not an expression of a kind of transcendent minds bigger than yours. It's an expression of the truth that the utter reality of life and love and reconciliation are more real than the penultimate and in the end shadowy things that we know. So in resurrection, death is not defeated or destroyed. It is redeemed and transformed and reconciled. Even death, that last and greatest enemy, is not taken on and ended in the old story of win-lose but it's taken into the new story and renewed and recreated as an ally and a friend and a part of the whole because it leads into life. The authority of Jesus is to tell the story differently and so change how we live and act and experience. When he has the authority to overcome death, it's not by making it die, but by opening up a wider and deeper and more real life that will encompass it. And that's what's meant by eternal life. A life, a totality of being and loving and encountering that's able to hold and transcend all that would destroy us and make us despair. It's not heaven somewhere beyond the clouds. It's a reality and a capacity to live in that reality here and now and always. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for them, it's not so that they become like us, defeated or destroyed through a kind of passive-aggressive power play. It's not using prayer as a weapon. It's about, that, that, that would, that, that's just carrying on the same structure. It's about telling and living a new story. And in a world that is polarized and violent, Jesus and those who live the call he gives, which includes us, they're telling and living a different story, one of reconciliation and possible, possibility and renewal. And we call it resurrection. Authority does not have to be win-lose after all. It does not need to be based on mine is bigger than yours, you have to do what I say. Jesus' authority, which he shares with them, with us, is precisely that. It is shared because it is about life and not death, about redemption and not destruction. It's not compromise. It's not lowest common denominator stuff. It's not making deals where in order to get some of what I want, I give you some of what you want, and there remain others who get nothing. It's a completely different story of life and depth and redemption of what looks like it is death. And we are called to live it. We are invited to live within and through the structures of the authority we currently experience this new life. We will not live it fully. We cannot live it completely. For we still live in this world, but we can glimpse it. And we can choose to live from that rather than from the old story of violent domination. Because as he stands and talks with his friends about his authority, we discover how he is exercising it and still exercises it and calls us into the exercise of it. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Now go and share across all the boundaries and all the limits and all the definitions of in and out. All the nations. The beginning of the gospel, the Magi come to meet the new king. Outsiders. Those from beyond the boundaries of the people to whom this king has promised. And here at the end is the collaborative authority being put into action. This authority that Jesus names as his, he then shares with his friends and then tells them that this is the model. 
They are to go beyond all the boundaries and all the limits and all the expectations to share it with anybody else who wants to receive it. In other places where the disciples are told to go and share the love and the life that has overwhelmed them in this experience of meeting the resurrected one, Jesus speaks of breathing onto them the Holy Spirit. Last week we celebrated the coming of the Spirit to the church. And what is the Spirit if not the power, the authority, the very person of God shared out, spread out among the people of God for the good of the world and the passing on of life and love? In a world, a context in which authority is so contested and the contest is shaped by a deep sense of win-lose, of the need to protect the boundary to make sure that those who are not me, who have lost or who have won, are kept in their place. Where the polarization that we're encountering here and now and that shapes our politics and has an impact on the way we move in the streets because of the threats and can and has affected our life as a congregation. In that kind of a world, what would it look like to listen to Jesus naming his authority and seeing it as a call to us, this authority that comes from living in a world in which death of any sort is no longer the ultimate threat, but has been redeemed into a friend and an ally. The death of our body, certainly, but all those other deaths too that we try to protect against by exerting or claiming power and authority. Where we see death as the way into resurrection. To see not the boundaries with those on the other side as the ones we need to fear or change or defeat. But to meet people with whom we can talk and share and explore and collaborate. We have models and glimpses on it. Our involvement with London citizens is about building relationships with others where we can find common ground. And then working with those who have power to help them and us together find a way forward to more justice and more life. Our involvement with churches together is about finding a way of speaking our faith and our life in ways that aren't marked by competition and mistrust, but a collaboration of service and prayer. Our life as Baptists, at its best, is about finding ways to live and worship and serve and pray with those with whom we do not always agree. The very statement at the heart of our Baptist union was designed to bring together communities that were fundamentally in disagreement about the nature of salvation. And our ongoing history remains an exploration of how to listen together to the God who is breaking down barriers and drawing in all those who look like strangers until we're one community. Today is Trinity Sunday. It's that Sunday in the year when we know we cannot get it right because all our language about God and all our ways of describing God are too small and we're too enclosed in the structures and patterns that limit how we think or speak. But it's also the Sunday when we can catch a glimpse of and dare to open ourselves to this life, this authority, this promise that Jesus speaks in this story. A world, a reality based not on win-lose and not shaped by shutting people out or making people like, be like us and not centered on violence and death. But a world in which the multiplicity and the mutuality and the love and the undefeatable life of God is expressed and is experienced.